This week on the NetApp Tech on Tap podcast, we bring back the storage service design team and NetApp IT guys to talk about QoS and cluster data on tap and where it best fits. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi, Glenn Sizemore, and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi and sitting next to me is... Andrew Sullivan. Wait a minute. Usually it's Glenn. Where's yeah, Glenn? Well, I'm on. I'm sitting on the other side of you where Glenn normally sits today. He is. Glenn yeah. is not here today. Glenn had better things to do, like be sick. Uh, whatever. Glenn. Scheduled illness. Scheduled illness. Yeah. Sick. <laughs> better things, I think, in air quotes there. Yeah. So, no, uh, Glenn, hope you feel better. We will uh, see you next week, I hope. And uh, don't kill yourself working while you're sick, please. And please don't get us sick. I've already done that this year. I hate it. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So uh, today we have uh, a number of guests with us who, they're, they're almost regulars on the podcast at this point. So we've, we've had them on, this will be, I believe, the third, if not the fourth time. Yeah, I mean, despite the fact that they were here the last few times, we've invited them back. Yeah, yeah, you know, so it, they they seem to be doing a pretty good job. Um, so yeah. we'll we'll keep inviting them back so long as they're willing. Yeah, so uh, so don't don't screw this up. Yeah, w- without further ado, without any more suspense, uh, gentlemen. So uh, we have Stetson Webster. We have oh lord, we're Eduardo, Eduardo Rivera. Thank you. <laughs> I guess I won't be invited back blanked. next time. Yeah. So well, I'm only one cup of coffee. The less we like you, the more we forget your name. <laughs> um, and then also on the phone is Evan Miller. Hello, say hello, Evan Miller. Hello, Evan Miller. It never gets old, does it? Yeah. <laughs> All right. And if you don't recognize these guys, they are part of the storage service design team. We have had several desk design team, right? Not 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 services service, right? Storage S- service. St- service design. Well, Ev- Evan ah. is, is the service design guy. Service you know. design team works fine. Yes, service design team, and then we also have guys from NetApp IT. Right, his and customer. It's a customer, yeah. One of his customers. Yep, very one of his customers. And we we always like to My talk about customer. their favorite customer. You have to be. <laughs> we always we always like that's, to talk about how they're automating and, and how they're implementing in NetApp storage and you know eating their own dog food or drinking their own champagne, whichever metaphor you prefer. I prefer champagne myself. <laughs> I hate dog food. <laughs> to each his food. own. <laughs> Stetson hates dog food, which means he's tried it. Well, oh. we, we brew our own beer too, so. Oh, okay. That's what we're doing. Yeah. I think I'm going to move to that one. I like yeah. that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, gentlemen, uh, first, thank you for coming in today. Um, you know, Eduardo, I know that you're customer mm-hmm. number one, right? So you are NetApp IT, which means that you're really consuming the service that's been laid out by uh, Evan and by Stetson. Um, please yep. correct me if I've got that off a little bit. So can we can we kind of quickly recap, right, the previous shows that you've been on where we've talked mm-hmm. about the storage service design workshop where we talked about the backup and, and recovery design and kind of cover where we're at now, which is we've you've, you've implemented this, right? Right, right, right. So, so as you said, um, I work in customer one, which is a the name for internal NetApp IT. So we take care of all of our team infrastructure, uh, everything that every big enterprise corporation will have, like emails and SAP and so on and so forth. Within that, I am the architect within the uh, so the, the storage uh, engineering team. So as you said, we've gone back and done the the um, 
service design workshop for data protection. We've done it for uh, just creating the storage services um, uh, implementation. And the, the place we are today is that we've really implemented a lot of these uh, practices that we talked about. Uh, namely, we we have uh, which we'll talk about today. You know, QoS implemented along with uh, particular uh, building blocks for clusters, meaning that we we build the clusters in a particular fashion, and um, and we cap them at, at particular sizes to deliver uh, SLA based on the NIOS per terabyte measurement. Uh, we also work, you know, implementing uh, some of the practices that came out of the backup uh, service design uh, talk that we had, and, and that's really more around the, you know. How, how, how many snapshots should take? How, how what do you replicate it somewhere else? All about RPO, RTO, and those sort of things. So it helps us shape the way that we do data protection, given the you know the technology we have on the floor. So, so you mentioned two things there. So one, you have standardized the way that you're deploying physical clusters into the environment, correct? That's right. Yeah. So is that physically you're you're only purchasing 8080s with a set number of shells a set type of disks right or? so so today and, and the thing is that the, the the thing about the model is it changes over time as new technology comes out right but the the idea is what you said we have a in our case we're deploying 8080s right we we deploy the uh, the bigger controllers that, that, that we have access to. But we, we configure them differently, right? We have 8080s with uh, SAS drives, the 8080s with nearline SAS drives, and then we have all flash fast. Um, and, and the idea is that the cluster is a combination of all, all those three. And it could be in different different quantities of drives depending on what we're trying to achieve. But but it still have this uh, heterogeneous sort of deployment where we can move workloads from you know one bucket to another bucket to another bucket, depending on the IOS per terabyte a requirement for a particular application. And then just, just to catch up, so you've been through the service design workshop, so can you kind of give us an overview of the, the service levels that you've implemented or that you've you arrived through the workshop? Yeah, yeah. so we have, um, you know, they, they, they have some, uh, they're not arbitrary, but there's some, like, I'll say, like, uh, marketing names to them, but I'll tell you what they're behind it, right? There's a, what we call an extreme uh, uh, workload, and then there's a high-ride workload and performance and value. And what those really translate to is, like, on the extreme one, we're talking about uh, 8192 8, IOPS per terabyte, uh, then followed by 4096, then 2048, and then finally like 512. So, so we go on, the, on that number of IOPS per terabyte. And this is really not necessarily read or write IOPS, it's just a general IOPS per terabyte number. And, and, and again, what we're trying to deliver is a sort of like a general uh, sort of performance tier alongside with whatever capacity we provide. Uh, and we adjust, as I said, we adjust after the fact. Uh, once it's deployed, we can measure, look at it, and decide. Well, maybe maybe that guy needs to be a little bit, you know, go from value to performance and so on, so on and so forth. But that's that's the basis for it, and that's how we build the clusters based on those numbers, and that's what we I mean to maintain now. Interestingly enough, when Eduardo first started on this, um, these tiers started out as you know um, SAS, sorry SATA, SAS, and SSD. And you know, for value, performance, and extreme, what what Eduardo has done recently, however, is the, he started seeing where, because of the capacity of the um, SSD drives, the the the, the, the all flash FAS now starts playing a role in the middle tier as well, by way of a QoS policy. So, so, so it's it's no longer when you start looking at it from a service perspective and not hardware. There's there there's no longer this boundary of of hardware, of what the hardware will do. The hardware starts to to become abstracted 
So by way of a service level, you can really determine where you see is the most efficient place to, to service those workloads. And that's what this water is starting to see in his implementations. Yeah, the goal of the service design workshop is not only to, to create service levels and do this abstraction, but to make sure that there's a, the possibility of an SLA. Um, w without doing that abstraction, without QoS, uh, they're simply disks, and disks do whatever they do under whatever load they get. And the, the problem with, with just uh, throwing disks on the floor and hoping that they perform well is that there's, there's no SLA. And for NetApp IT to be able to provide an SLA, there has to be a mechanism to sort workloads into service levels and um, provide a maximum performance level for every workload. What, what Eduardo shared with you was the maximum performance. But what's more critical is the minimum performance. How do you make sure that that workload's going to get, for, for example, an extreme, how do you make sure it's going to get 4,000 IOPS a terabyte? Well, the only way to do that is to make sure that no one can consume you know, 40,000 uh, IOPS a terabyte um, so that everybody gets a consistent amount of IOPS. There's th every controller, even the 8080, has a maximum number of IOPS it's going to supply. So we've got to make sure that we budget the I.O. across all the volumes so that everybody gets the minimum expectation and now some kind of an SLA is, is possible. So, so Evan, you touched on something there, and this is, to be clear, this is implemented with ONTAP, not with SolidFire. And you mentioned specifically Absolutely. effectively providing a, a minimum IOPS layer. And right. so, so I'm somebody who I always recommend to customers that they always turn on QoS, even with an infinite policy, right, with, with no limit, because of the workload characteristics and it aids with troubleshooting and performance issues and all of that other yes. stuff, right? But... I'm also of the, you know, my historical usage of QoS has been to really throttle bullies, right? And it sounds like this is, and I know we've covered this in the other services on workshops, but this is the first time that, that a minimum level is being triggered in my memory um, in, during these conversations. So can you elaborate on that? Sure. Well, the only way to provide a minimum is to start by a maximum, right? Uh, you'll, you'll notice that there's always a speed limit on the freeway. Uh, the, the minimum speed on the freeway isn't what's critical. It's how do I make sure that nobody goes over the speed limit, right? The same thing's happening at the storage layer. Same thing's happening at the network layer. The only way to provide a network SLA is to put a maximum on what every protocol is allowed to consume, right? Every WAN circuit you buy, every switch uh, that is inside a corporate network is limiting what um, service levels are possible so that the SLAs can be achieved. That's because no infrastructure has unlimited performance, whether it's water or electricity or, or network or storage. His, and, and so that minimum is only possible by starting with the maximum. Here's another way to look at that. Yeah. Every performance problem I've ever seen or participated in troubleshooting is by definition a, a under-delivery problem. It's an underperformance problem. That's what a performance problem is. Every time I've dug into one of those, unless it's a bug somewhere, it's always caused by an over-delivery or an over-performance somewhere else. So if you address the over-delivery or the over-performance problem, therein lies the solution for your minimum level. Mm -hmm. So, so when we're when we talked about, you know, I talked about the maximums, right? Like, okay, thousand 
8192, 2048, so on and so forth. Those are up to that number. But for me to be able to deliver up to that number for whatever volumes are provisioned within that aggregate, then everybody needs to be at that number or less. So then we can have the you know the the, the minimum the implicit minimum is that you, you you should be able to get that much if you need it. That's the minimum, right? But to get, be able to get that much, I'm like I'm throttling everybody else at that level. So then we yeah. don't overrun the aggregate and the, and the controller. And the reason you need to, con to throttle all volumes and not just the beliefs is because no storage environment remains static and constant. There's always a different bully, right? There's seasonal workloads or cyclical workloads. You, you can't predict who your next bully is. So instead of just you know, trying to figure out who's my bully today and just throttle that guy, that's too much work. When we're talking about managing a very large scale environment, it is way too much work to go you know, constantly trying to identify your bullies. Therefore, the lowest labor way to solve uh, performance issues is to throttle everyone at service levels, right? We're not saying everybody needs to go slow. We're saying everybody needs to be in the service level that gives them the I.O. they need on a normal basis, right? And then no bullies can emerge, and you won't get into that cyclical bully identification, bottleneck identification problem. What we really want to do is take performance incident management off of the list of things to do because as, as much as some geeks really think that's way cool and I want to do it every day, uh, the average business doesn't want to pay people <laughs> to sit around analyzing performance problems all day. What if they just didn't occur or were very, very rare? That's really where we want to get to. Well, we can even ask Eduardo, um, you know, what performance problems, is the, what's his favorite performance problem? Which ones has he done lately? You know, and um, he's here with a very dumbfounded look. He's like, oh, what mean, performance problem? I'd rather not have performance problems. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, like, so I mean, the, the, the thing is that it, I'll tell you about the expert. So we talked a little bit about the sort of the, the theory around it. I mean, there, this is the way it's been working uh, within my environment. As we talked about, I had this sort of prescriptive building blocks. I had these eight node clusters, which is a combination of uh, of all flash fast, fast, and, and nearline SAS. And within that, uh, every volume is throttled. And when I look at the, you know, and I'm looking at IOPS, uh, the volumes of, you know, here and there over a week, over six hours, or whatnot, and every single volume, once I mentioned IO density, first of all, we've done the, the research well, so none of them are actually hitting, hitting that ceiling on an ongoing basis. But I've also noticed that there's some smaller, let's say there's a Oracle binaries volume, which I've seen pop up, and it's hitting its ceiling in terms of IOPS per terabyte. Nobody's complaining because that's really not a, a critical workload. The workloads are really in the raw data volumes. But what this is preventing is those other is preventing those other volumes from being starved from resources. So I don't have a performance problem. I have a situation when I'm giving that one volume the right amount of resources that it deserves, uh, and reserving the rest of the, the the resources for the other volumes that actually need to consume you know the level of IOPS. So so from a practical perspective, you have a dynamically changing environment that is you know, controlled uh, within the SLAs that, that you have stipulated before. And I, nobody's complained so far, so I think it's working. <laughs> I so think it's, it's also very important to note that there's a very simple fact-based exercise that Eduardo used to, to, to actually hone in on exactly what the required workloads are. And, and, and um, essentially, that is the IO density report that we get out of on-command insight. 
and it uses it looks at the existing environment to see what's been been going on so far so we we look at it from a number of different angles we look at it against we, we measure against peak 95th percentile of peak 75th percentile of peak and as Eduardo said, over time he looks at it to see if everything is still where it needs to be. So it isn't it isn't a, a, a guessing exercise, and it, we aren't when QoS policies are implemented, it isn't this massive governance that comes in and just disrupts everything. The QoS policies slip right in, right where the applications are, wh where their performance levels are, when they're left at their own accord. So. You know, there, there weren't QoS policies in place when we first implemented the QoS policies. So we know, you know, very factually what these applications required. So, they, they, so like Eduardo said, they, they're not complaining. They don't even know that the QoS policy has been um, applied. So, that, I mean, that's, that's an interesting point, right, in that application owners, in particular, you brought up mm -hmm. Oracle, right? Mm -hmm. Oracle DBAs are, mm -hmm. are stereotypically the most stodgy people in any, or, you know, yeah. IT organization. Yep. You know, so, you know, I, I remember having, you know, having exchanges with DBAs, SQL Server in my instance, where it was, well, what if somebody writes a Cartesian join, or what if I need to do a re-index, right? And suddenly I need, you know, 10 or 20 or 40x more IOPS than I would during normal operations. You know, is that still a concern? Is that still something that you have to combat? So it could be, but the reality, so let, let, me, let me say it can be. But when I look at it day in, day out, but the majority, and, and I think we, in a second, we probably need to talk a little bit about IELTS per terabyte so we explain a little bit better. But, but when I look at the IELTS per terabyte for the volumes that, that I have uh, that in my system, they're somewhere halfway to their, to their limit. So they still have a big ceiling to 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 reach before they run out. If there's a situation where there's a Cartesian joint or something like that that makes the database go crazy, well, it will get more IOPS up to that limit. And frankly, that's where I really want to leave, leave it at. I don't, and allowing him to go beyond that limit means everybody else gets affected. Of course, if this is a dedicated uh, filer or cluster where nobody else is uh, using it, well, maybe you don't. It, the, the whole concept of SLAs and whatnot go out the window, and don't put a QoS and let them go up uh, up to the peaks. But I think that's a very expensive way to build your clusters, building it for those peak uh, times. Now, all that said, if there really was a situation where we really needed to adjust, we can certainly adjust. Those policies are dynamically; you can change them dynamically, and you can move the volume. And let's say again, it's sitting on a performance tier. I can move it to the extreme tier and give it more more IOPS uh, temporarily if we need to. So we have ways to deal with it. Uh, but the, the, the way to not deal with it is to disable it because that just kind of throws away the entire model, right? So, so how, how frequently do you move things back and forth, though, Eduardo? So far, I really haven't done much. I've done a couple of things, uh, really more for adjusting capacity needs than anything else, not really performance needs, uh, meaning that we provision a whole bunch of stuff on, on SSD uh, initially because everybody wants that. And then we started moving them away from there because they were not really using the, the performance but we needed the capacity for somebody else. So I haven't had a, a need to move them because of performance, really, I mean, for all the reasons. Yeah, so the, uh, Eduardo, this is Evan. There's a question I always get, and I want to talk to your answer first. Um, doesn't QoS increase latency? Not unless you're hitting the limit, <laughs> right? Uh, so so, so the, it depends, right? It depends how you want to live. If, if there's one volume that's hitting its QoS uh, uh, limit consistently, that one volume will have greater latency during the time that it's hitting that limit. But, but the reality is that because that one volume is being throttled back, everybody else is getting 
better performance because you're not exhausting the 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 the, um, the resources. Now, you know that's just the nature of it. Now, now if you have a volume that's always hitting its iOS uh, IO limit, that means that's probably the wrong uh, swim lane for that volume. It probably should be in a higher in a higher tier. So. Yes, of course, if you hit the limit, it's going to have big, bigger latency. The result is that the entire population of volumes have a lower latency because you're not competing for resources. And if you do have a, a problem performance-wise, just move it somewhere else. So, so Evan, yeah. you mentioned latency in this instance, right? Can you, yeah. can you explain the relationship between IOPS in this instance and latency and how, the, how QoS affects that? Because you know, yeah. our, our QoS policies are IOPS-dependent, not latency, right? Yeah, Eduardo actually told us the answer there that's really key to understand. By limiting the few volumes that are peaking, you're reducing the, um, the pressure, the congestion on the node and the aggregate. So latency for everybody actually gets better with QoS, not worse, right? Because latency happens on a volume when there's a bunch of colliding peaks that hit all at the same time and then latency spikes for everybody. But what he's saying is when I limit workloads so that they can't go beyond their peaks, I prevent that congestion from occurring and I keep latency low for everyone. Um, so yeah, limiting uh, I.O. Uh, for those few bullies actually improves latency, not makes it worse for everybody if you look in, across all of your volumes. And, the, and the, there is a direct relationship between latency and IO, right? And um, and what happens is, yes, latency for high workloads um, should be low, but in reality, when congestion occurs, latency gets very bad. We've seen in the field, we've seen latencies in excess of 100 milliseconds, which is an eternity in the storage layer, whenever workloads collide, especially on disk-based aggregates. But even on on uh, SSD aggregates, latencies can can you know mount up to several milliseconds. Take the pressure off by limiting those bullies, and now suddenly everything remains at a very consistent low latency. But but even for a workload where the latency has has is is elevated, um, you know let's stop and think about that. It hasn't stopped. The workload hasn't stopped. It's it's not at a screeching halt. It's still performing at the prescribed QoS policy. Mm -hmm. So 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 let's not be too afraid of, of of latency on a volume that is misbehaving. Well, that's a good point because to Evans uh, Evans point right like when you see latency spike up because of system problems, uh, there there can be a big problem right. It may not be easy to recover from there. Right, uh, yeah. things may be, be falling apart at that point. If you're hitting a, latency, uh, a QoS policy limit, well, it's easy to, to deal with it, as I said, right? Change it or move it around. Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about QoS policies, right? And um, I, I know I've created many QoS policies um, all by hand. And Eduardo, I have a feeling that, that you we don't pay you to create QoS policies by, <laughs> by hand every time that somebody inside of the organization requests a new storage volume. So... Mm -hmm. You know, th this being the the implementation podcast of of your uh, of your particular service design uh, result, right? Can you elaborate on, or can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, <clears throat> so you're right. Every so the way that we're dealing with QoS policies is at the volume level. So every volume gets a QoS policy, and then we're talking about the thing about IOPS per terabyte. It's really just a measurement of how many IOPS a particular 
section of use capacity should uh, perform at, right? And we're making a mathematical, you know, decision saying like if that volume is a terabyte, you get you know a thousand IOPS, a thousand IOPS per terabyte. So if I were if I were go if I were to go by hand and, and create all those policies, uh, they will be obsolete the second that some more data gets written to it, and then I have to re, you know readjust them every time. And it's not three volumes; it's hundreds, and not thousands. So to your point, no, I don't I don't do this by hand. What I do is uh, I've been using this uh, tool called Adaptive QoS. It's something that uh, we're creating internally, and at the end of the day, it's, it's a policy manager. So it's a manager of QoS policies. It just goes out there. It's running in the background and out on a Linux server. It talks to the filers every every so often. I think it's 15 minutes at the setup right now. And it go looks at all the volumes. It looks at all the, the capacity of all the volumes, the consume capacity, and then makes a decision to either create a policy if one doesn't exist, uh, adjust a policy if it needs to be adjusted because the volume changes. Um, and, and then it also picks like uh, the right policy based on whether that volume is sitting on what we consider an extreme aggregate or performance aggregate or value. And, and those are things that are they're changeable within the script. How do you want to execute, right? Again, we're doing at the volume level, and I'm naming my aggregates in such a way that I can easily identify it. But, uh, but that's it, right? And that runs in the background, and it does its job, and I look at it every so often to make sure it's still running. So uh, all I'm hearing is automation, right? And and that makes me happy, right? Um, right, right, right. You know, because you know, from your perspective, right, it's you know either either manually or through you know some sort of of storage as a service type catalog, right? You know, provision of volume, and then let the automation work in the background to implement and maintain those QoS policies. Because like you you said, right, the whole point of this is dynamic QoS, right. adjusting that policy based on the consumed capacity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, it, it makes it quite simple, and and so far. I mean, I've, I've been running it in some way, shape, or form since like October or November last year. Now it's, the, the scope has expanded since then, and uh, it's working fine. So so far, no issues. So I'm I'm pretty happy with it. It's it's quite powerful, and as I said, you can see the effect on it if you're really looking at the performance of the filer and uh, IOPS and that sort of thing. It's it, I I think it's a way to go. Yeah, I think one of the things that's always uh desirable, right, whether you're an application administrator, a storage administrator, right, anywhere in between is predictability, right, mm -hmm. especially, you know, on the operation side, nobody wants to get those phone calls or, I know this is 2016, a page, <laughs> right, in the middle of the night because something's wrong. So, you know, from my perspective as somebody who did operations for the better part of 15 years, I think it's, you know, predictability is what I want. It's, it's my end goal. Um, and in particular, you know, automated rates mm -hmm. implementation of that, just that much better. Yeah, I have a question for Eduardo. I want to put him on the spot here. Um, Eduardo, if, if I called your cell phone at about 3 a.m. and told you that uh, one of our um, HA pairs or one of our nodes was, like, pegged out with some rogue workload and the system was, like, you know, performing really badly and we needed to run a perf stat, um, would you believe me? I mean, it, it it wouldn't make any sense, right? <laughs> right? Again, it wouldn't it wouldn't make any sense. I I would think like we hit something really wrong. I was hit something. Uh, I couldn't even think about it, right? Because everything's pegged, right? Like I'll probably uh, equate that to like there's a particular application complaint about performance, and then we look at those volumes and see there's something particularly wrong with them in terms of like uh, hitting the the limit. But but the filer will be will be. I'll be surprised if that yeah. was the case. <laughs> Not the system. It would right. be the workload, right? right? So so essentially, like like I usually tell people is the troubleshooting <laughs> domain is reduced from an entire system. Now it's down to one volume. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, I just wanna I just wanna point that out specifically, right? Six months in and you haven't had any performance issues that have 
affected the entire controller, right? Or no, even not so far. Probably more than one application. No, they're, they're, we we have several and several big ones together. So so far so good. Uh, it really is working out. Um, I I don't know. I don't. I, 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 I don't think I can expect any, hopefully, any calls uh, about fighters falling apart. I don't Na- so. na- naturally, he's going to get one tonight. Yeah, yeah, I know. Right. Since he's spoken about it. You don't speak about it. <laughs> you just jinxed yourself. <laughs> it's okay. Justin used to work in support, so just call him. Just call me, and I'll I'll ignore it. <laughs> Will you have your cell phone next to your bed? I, not anymore. Oh. Stopped that a, lot, a long time ago. Funny enough, when I was a sysadmin years ago at a different company, we used to have email alerts, and the phone would chime when you had when you carried the on-call phone. Mm-hmm. And like we were so like not set up right that we would just get email after email after email, and it would just chime constantly all night. And you would just ignore it. You're like, forget this. I'm turning it off. There's no point. I'm not going to look at every little alert email because <laughs> I think they had it set up for info logging or something. It was ridiculous. It was not the way you want to do it. So it's important to note that you want to make sure that you set it up correctly. Because it's only the automation is only as good as what you put into it, and if you don't put enough into it, it's going to backfire on you, and you're going to hate life. That goes back to the intelligence that we use with the IO density report. You know, when these QoS policies go in, um, they're not slicing through flesh when they go in. I mean, it's 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 slipping right in between, and it's not actually um, you know imposing any in any um, you know policy against the workload that's not already where it is. Yeah, and, and that's a good point. I mean, one thing I want to mention is like we talked about it last time when we talked and when we got together and it's important to set the expectation from the get-go on what are the, the particular SLAs, right? Uh, one thing that I've learned through this experience is that just set up right from the beginning, meaning that let's implement QoS day one those clusters are rolled out and before volumes start getting created and applications are using your system because you sort of accustom the the user or the customer to live within its own uh, swim lane. Uh, swim lane. If you don't do that, and there's a particular application really, really high, it's for whatever reason it may be, and then you set up a QS policy on top of that, well, you may have some issues with that guy, right? He's gonna be like, well, now my performance is terrible, or, or my my throughput is not good enough, and and they will have to sort of readjust that. Yeah, I've had a mantra for years, um, you know, long before I worked for NetApp, right? That monitoring is is critical. And in particular, any time, you know, now when I give best practices sessions, right, what, what are the volume best practices for VMware and for application X or application Y, right? It doesn't matter what, what I tell you, right? I can tell you what a feature does, right? Change this on the volume and it's going to affect this. You should have the monitoring in place beforehand to know what your baseline is and afterwards to know if it's going to have the desired impact, right? Because if you're changing something and it doesn't, you know, positively influence that whatever you're trying to, to do, then it's it's not a good change, right? It's something that you should mm-hmm. be rolling back. Um, so so you've talked a lot about this, right? And it sounds like this went into a greenfield deployment. Yeah. So we have an environment called the early adopter environment within within our IT organization, and we started out there. I started putting it out there, and then what's what's hosted there? There's there's some. Um, well, actually, we have Metro Cluster in there today, but there's some filers in there hosting uh, mostly VMware workloads, but really is all the backbone for what we call the NAP private cloud. So it's it's sort of like a little more, i say, early adopter. We roll in newer versions on top there. We do sort of like the, the well, whatever new technology may come down the line goes in, the, in there first. So it was running there for a while, and now it's expanded beyond that, and now we're really in our more, um, I'll say, match hosting 
internal data center solutions. We're hosting, uh, we're we're managing a couple of the bigger clusters that are absorbing all the big applications that uh, we have. And by that, I mean like ERP, EBI, auto support, or components of those applications living on these new clusters that we have built and that are matched by QoS. So, so a spill beyond just the early adopter environment into the general population of providers. And it's it's something that you can apply to existing infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? So long as yeah. you're at a version of, of cluster data on tap that supports QoS. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is you, 8.2 and above. Right? Yeah, so you, you don't have to you know, deploy new hardware and, and no. migrate into this environment. No. Rather, it's something that can be retroactively applied. Right, right. And, and, and while I have been building new clusters, uh, because uh, for several reasons, we need the capacity and whatnot, but uh, I'm following the model that, you know, we, we devised with Evan. We certainly have existing clusters to which uh, through OCI reporting and whatnot, we'll be able to tell better what are the right uh, ranges of, of IOPS we'll start implementing into there. Right now, I haven't really uh, introduced uh, that to QoS into none, uh, you know, build up clusters that we have, that, that we just created. But uh, but we have um, we have that in the plan to start doing that. Awesome. So so we we talked a little bit about the automation, right, and what you're using to manage that. Is that something that will eventually be available to customers? Is that something that NetApp IT will, it will turn into, I don't want to say into a product, but something that we can uh, share with the world. Yeah, let me jump in here. So um, Adaptive QoS is being put into a new uh, workflow that's going to be released with WFA. Um, it's been in sort of beta for a while, and, um, and so the new service level objective pack uh, on the community site for WFA is the earliest place to get it. You go to automationstore.netapp.com. You can see the workflow pack called the SLO pack for uh, WFA. And longer term, of course, um, it'll find homes in uh, in other NetApp products. But uh, but for now, that's that's where you can get it. Great. So so it it, it is available. Although I think if I remember. I've I've looked at that package before, not knowing what it was inside of WFA, and it says you. This is highly recommended that you complete the service design workshop, and I assumed Absolutely. it was something to do to do with you, but I did not know that the uh, the adaptive QoS was in there. So that's very cool. Yep, Incle- includes the adaptive QoS policy manager script, and uh, there's a version 1.2 out there. Uh, there's a 1.3 coming soon, and uh, we're constantly um, going back and forth and and helping the the product team to. Uh, continually improve it and and of course we're talking to other product teams about where it lives in other products in the future so what I've what I've heard on this call is really fantastic I mean there's a there's a a theme going on and that is the reduction of fear right there's a lot of fear around QoS people have been afraid to implement it but what Stetson's talked about in terms of measuring with IO density and what Eduardo's talked about in terms of um, um, stepping it in carefully, start with your pre-production environment, roll it out, monitor it, uh, gain experience with it. What, what I'm really hearing is what I'm hearing across our entire customer base, uh, and that is it's not a scary subject anymore. Um, we can reduce the labor. We can make it very seamless for applications so that no one even detects that it's in place, and it really helps manage the environment and reduce performance incidents. So this WFA workflow automation, we can find that in the NetApp community. Is that right? Or no, no? automationstore.netapp.com. Okay, automationstore.netapp.com. 
Yeah. Okay. Or in WFA, if you click the tab that says automation. Story. Oh, okay. yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, if you're not familiar with the workflow automation tool, as I am not, <laughs> and I'm sure some of our listeners are also not familiar with that tool, so it's good to know. All right. Well, thank you guys for being here today to talk about QoS. If you're interested, they had previous episodes on this podcast on techontappodcast.com. Episodes 18 and 19 were available still out there if you want to listen to those. Those were actually two of our most favorited uh, episodes. And if you don't know what favorited means, just basically there's a little heart. You can click the heart and say you loved the episode. Is that like a Facebook like? It is. Or like a Twitter heart. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that's why you guys say uh, keep inviting us over so we can get more likes. <laughs> we want more likes. We're, we're, we're very <laughs> we, we know what the people want, and it, uh, it's you guys. <laughs> yeah, obviously. So, uh, Eduardo, where can we find you if we want to contact you? Well, I do have a Twitter handle, at uh, Mr. Ed Rivera. Do you use it? I use it sometimes <laughs> no I tr- no no actually i've been i've been trying to get better at it i i i abandon it when i get distracted with work okay so eduardo you told us how to get in touch with you do you have anything else that you've done yeah so actually re- uh very soon i think um uh, as soon as this podcast is out is where we're gonna be a blog published at the same time uh uh related to the service design uh implementation in uh customer one where can we find that blog It'll be in the now communities. We'll add the link to the to the show notes. Okay. Okay. Excellent. So yeah, we'll add it to the show notes. You guys can click on it. Check out what Eduardo has to say about the service de- design implementation that we just discussed here. Stetson, where can we find you? At Stetson Webster on Twitter. All right. And Evan Miller, where can we find you? Evan C. Miller on Twitter or Evan.Miller at NetApp. All right. So if you want to hit those guys up, ask them some questions that you didn't get answered here, they could be sure to help you out with that. Also, if you want to ask questions outside of that, you can email us at podcast.netapp.com, and we will answer your questions on the air. All right. That music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast.netapp.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or SoundCloud or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team and the storage services design team and NetApp IT, thanks for listening. Hi guys, how you guys doing? You holding up all right? Yeah, we're good. That was a pretty epic show there. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy it. Wait, you need to come up for a fourth or fifth time, I guess. Yeah, you guys are like uh, the Steve Martin or like uh, Sarah Live. Oh, yeah, did we get a, we get a special code for uh, yeah. like, <laughs> being too many times on the show? I'll give you a coupon code oh, to like yeah. some like website ne- I never use for, for being <laughs> here so many times. Great. Yeah, no problem. I got some free t-shirts from conferences. <laughs> cool. Do you have any Splunk t-shirts? I don't, sorry. <laughs>